Trapcast Express. Trapcast Express, it's Tuesday, March 15th, 2022. What do you know? Just as you're trying to get a podcast recorded, news breaks in Rome. The Vatican announced today that on March 25th of this year, Francis will consecrate Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And not only Russia, but also the Ukraine. Matteo Bruni, the head honcho there at the Vatican press office, released the following statement. Quote, on Friday, March 25th, during the celebration of penance, at which he will preside at 5 p.m. in St. Peter's Basilica, Pope Francis will consecrate Russia and Ukraine to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. The same act, on the same day, will be carried out in Fatima by His Eminence Cardinal Krajewski, Apostolic Almoner, as envoy of the Holy Father. Unquote. Ladies and gentlemen, don't get too excited here. This is simply the latest act in The Francis Show, and it will make exactly zero difference to anything. How do I know that? Well, for one thing, because Francis isn't the Pope. For that reason alone, he cannot fulfill the request of Our Lady of Fatima. Secondly, even some of the Semitrads are skeptical here because there is no mention of this being done in union with the bishops of the world, which seems to be one of the requirements of Our Lady of Fatima. Others have suggested that it must be Russia alone that is consecrated, not Russia and some other country, though I'm not so sure that that's true. Our Lady didn't say only Russia, she said Russia. But folks, let's get real. Francis isn't the Pope. He's on record as being a blaspheming Pachamama worshipper who teaches that the differences between religions reflect the richness of different ways of coming to God and are positively willed by God, and that fraternity is the anchor of salvation for humanity. And the only conversion he cares about is the ecological kind. Now, that's not to say that heaven won't respond to his impious lips reciting a prayer to the Blessed Virgin. I just fear that the response is going to be one of fire and brimstone rather than peace and prosperity. But now let's finally get to how I was originally going to start out this podcast. The Archlayman of Munich, Cardinal Reinhard Marx, offered the Novus Ordo worship service this past Sunday for the Munich queer community to mark the group's 20th anniversary. This was reported on Monday by LifeSite, the so-called Catholic news agency, and, without even a hint of displeasure, by the German edition of Vatican News. In his homily for the occasion, the false shepherd Marx let it rip, quote, I desire an inclusive church, a church that includes all who want to walk the way of Jesus. Unquote. Well, considering that the group he was addressing is one that promotes the practice of sins that cry to heaven for vengeance, I'd say there aren't too many there interested in walking the way of the cross. Marx claimed that Christ taught the primacy of love, which of course is true, except that Marx twists that into an acceptance of perversion, as long as it's loving perversion. 
The singing was provided by members of the Rainbow Choir, by the way, and that was very fitting since the Apostate Archdiocese has a so-called Rainbow Ministry, which, quote, sees itself as a service to the reconciliation of the Church with the LGBTI community, unquote. That's according to diocesan official Ruth Huber, who is head of the Department of Generations and Ages. Well, maybe they meant degenerations. But anyway, according to LifeSite, one of the activities the Munich Archdiocese offers in support of the perverted alphabet ideology is weekends for gay, bi, and trans men that explore the special male friendship among such people. Okay? So, this group, this Munich queer community, has held its own special Sunday masses every week since March of 2002. And so this year, for the 20th anniversary, the Archlayman of Munich, who is also a close advisor to Pope Francis, by the way, wanted to celebrate the homo mess himself. Well, hey, look on the bright side. At least he didn't do it facing east. In other news, Dr. Peter Kwasniewski is not a happy camper these days. In an article entitled, Is the Pope the Vicar of Christ or CEO of Vatican Inc., published on the website of Catholic Family News on Monday, Kwasniewski accuses Francis of abusing papal authority because he basically fired a bishop he didn't approve of. Kwasniewski insists that the Pope cannot do that, except, of course, he can. Just as he can appoint bishops at will, so he can fire them if he deems it appropriate. Now, never mind that Francis' reasons for firing Daniel Fernandez Torres, the ordinary of Arecibo, Puerto Rico, are ridiculous and mostly unjust, but if the Pope is the Vicar of Christ then he has every right to remove a bishop he deems not to be a good fit. That is not, as Kwasniewski thinks, a simplistic hyper-papalist ecclesiology that is Catholicism. The canon lawyer journalists who run the new blog The Pillar examined this question in detail and, of course, concluded that yes, a pope has the right to do such a thing. Kwasniewski is incensed, but... How does he imagine the church should work? That the Pope orders the removal of a bishop, but the bishop can just veto that decision and overrule the Pope, so to speak? Or that the Pope can be sued in ecclesiastical court, and one of his inferiors then pronounces judgment that is binding on both? Peter Kwasniewski seems not to have the faintest idea how the papacy works. The first C is judged by no one. That is not just canon law, that is infallible dogma. As Kwasniewski himself concedes in the article, Vatican I teaches dogmatically that the Pope has supreme, full, immediate, and universal ordinary jurisdiction. And that is so not only over every bishop and priest, but also over every single Catholic. But, says Kwasniewski, that doesn't mean that the Pope can just fire a bishop at will. 
The problem is Kwasniewski provides no concrete evidence for his claim. In his article, he just makes arguments for why he considers that absurd. But he provides no real positive evidence, except, and this is hilarious, at the very end, he cites Karl Rahner in his defense. Karl Rahner, perhaps the most influential modernist of the post-conciliar epoch. Rahner did not believe in the perpetual virginity of the Blessed Virgin Mary, by the way, and I'm pretty sure he also denied transubstantiation. Anyway, why does Kwasniewski cite Rahner? Very simple, because on that particular point, Rahner agrees with him. See, the way this works in semi-triad apologetics is that you don't look at what the pertinent authorities say and then you go by that, or at least let them influence you, your position. Rather, you first see who agrees with you and then tout them as authorities. It doesn't occur to Kwasniewski, apparently, that perhaps Rahner's modernism also tainted his view of the papacy, right? Or, if it does occur to him, he simply ignores it because in this particular case, Rahner comes in handy for him. Now, of course, it's quite conceivable that a pope might be sinning in a specific case if he fires a bishop from his diocese, but that doesn't mean the bishop isn't fired. The pope is judged by no one on earth. He is only judged by God after death. That is Catholicism and there is no problem with that. The reason Kwasniewski has a problem with it is that he stubbornly recognizes a public apostate as the Pope of the Catholic Church, and now he's got to face the unpleasant consequences of his error. Now, while we're on the topic of Peter Kwasniewski and him cobbling together his own theology, he just published a short new book called True Obedience in the Church. And wouldn't you know it, it just so happens that he's discovered that the Church teaches that papal documents like Francis Traditionis Custodes, which basically phases out the traditional Mass, need not and should not be obeyed. How lucky Kwasniewski is that at least that much Church teaching needs to be obeyed. Kwasniewski arrives at his convenient conclusion on the grounds that forbidding the traditional Catholic Mass is contrary to the common good. And if a law is contrary to the common good, then as the Church teaches, it is not a valid law. Well, he is certainly right that substituting the new Mass of Paul VI for the traditional Roman Mass is contrary to the common good. That's clear. But the real question that must be asked is, what in the world makes Peter Kwasniewski think that it is even possible for the Supreme Pontiff to release a decree that establishes a liturgical law for the universal church that is contrary to the common good and therefore a danger to souls? That idea is utterly impossible and absurd. Now, in his book, Kwasniewski brings up various quotes from all kinds of real and imagined church authorities, but he interprets them in a way favorable to his thesis when it is not at all clear that such interpretation is necessary or even warranted. 
So, for example, he brings up the following from the Council of Constance, quote, Since the Roman pontiff exercises such great power among mortals, it is right that he be bound all the more by the incontrovertible bonds of the faith and by the rights that are to be observed regarding the church's sacraments, unquote. That statement is far from having obvious meaning. We said Evacantus agree, of course, that the Pope is bound by the faith. But that does not mean that he is capable of teaching heresy to the whole church. What it means is that what the Pope teaches to the whole church will necessarily be in conformity with the true faith. And if it should be possible for the Pope to deviate from the faith as a private individual, not in the exercise of his office, but only in his capacity as a private man, then he would no longer be Pope, automatically. It is Kwasniewski who gratuitously assumes that this statement from the Council of Constance means that the Pope can overstep the bounds of orthodoxy in what he teaches to the church. He just isn't allowed to. And so when he does, then the bishops and the faithful basically have to rise up in protest until the Pope gets his act together and withdraws the false teaching. I mean, what an utterly ludicrous idea. Of course, that is not what we see in the rich magisterial teaching on the papacy of the 19th and 20th centuries, which Kwasniewski decries as ultramontanism, as if that were a bad thing, or as hyperpapalism and whatnot. It is outrageous. Then another example from his new book. Kwasniewski quotes the 17th century theologian Father Francisco Suarez, who says the following, Quote, if the Pope lays down an order contrary to right customs, one does not have to obey him. If he tries to do something manifestly opposed to justice and to the common good, it would be licit to resist him. If he attacks by force, he could be repelled by force, with the moderation characteristic of a good defense, unquote. Now, for a short podcast like this, I'm not going to investigate this in depth, you know, like examine the context, see what others have written about this, and so on. But let me just note a few things here that show what a weak argument Kwasniewski is using here. Number one, Father Francisco Suarez, yes, was a great theologian, but he's neither a saint nor a doctor of the church. Why not use St. Robert Bellarmine instead? Number two, from what was quoted, there is no indication that Suarez agrees that it is possible for a pope to impose either heresy or a harmful liturgical rite on the universal church. An order contrary to right customs is one thing, a false rite of mass is something else entirely. Number three, again, just going by what was actually quoted, Suarez may actually have been speaking hypothetically in theory, without meaning to imply that all of this was actually possible. That is how St. Robert Bellarmine, for example, discussed what would happen if a pope became a public heretic. He laid it out, but he didn't think it was possible in practice. And number four, even if Suarez backed up Kwasniewski's ideas 100%, guess what? 
There's been a lot of official papal teaching since the 17th century, when Father Suarez was writing, and that papal teaching overrules Suarez wherever it contradicts what he said. So for Peter Kwasniewski to bring up Francisco Suarez and ignore the teachings of the popes on this matter is indefensible, but it certainly does say a lot. I challenge Dr. Kwasniewski to find one clear example from the papal magisterium since Pope St. Pius V's Quo Primum in the 16th century that says that when the Pope issues liturgical laws for the entire church, then the bishops and the faithful have the obligation to accept them only if they judge them to be in conformity with faith, reason, and the common good. Because that is simply absurd. Okay? Kwasniewski lives in theological la-la land because his theology is the result of trying to reconcile traditional Catholicism with the false magisterium of the Vatican II Church. He's desperately trying to make it fit, and since that's an impossibility, he ends up with all kinds of theological contortions, which, however, he persuades himself are the gospel truth, because otherwise he'd end up with, say, the vacantism, and obviously that can't be true, right? So that's my challenge to Peter Kwasniewski, because what I found is that papal teaching is very consistent and very clear. The bishops and the faithful must receive the liturgical directives of the Holy See and follow them, period. For example, in his 1947 encyclical Mediator Dei, Pope Pius XII told his bishops that, quote, you must strive that with due reverence and faith all obey the decrees of the Council of Trent, of the Roman pontiffs, and the sacred congregation of rites, and what the liturgical books ordain concerning external public worship, unquote. Again, Mediator Dei, and that's paragraph number 187. Now, how is that possible? How could Pius XII say that? Didn't he know about how obedience has its limits? Had he never read Peter, Qua I mean, uh, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas? Or could it be that it is impossible for a true pope to approve harmful liturgical rites? Remember what the Council of Trent defined in Session 22, Canon 7. Quote, if anyone says that the ceremonies, vestments, and outward signs which the Catholic Church uses in the celebration of masses are incentives to impiety rather than the services of piety, let him be anathema, unquote. You can look that up in Denzinger, number 954. And now you know why Pope Pius IX, writing to the president of the Italian Catholic Youth Council, in a letter dated January 21st, 1878, said, quote, We congratulate you, therefore, on the fact that although you suffered doubtless at the defection of your brothers, separated from you by the breath of perfidious teaching, you are not troubled for all that and are even being stimulated by their error to receive with greater willingness and to follow with more zeal not only the orders but even all the directives of the apostolic see, 
and by so doing you are certain that you cannot be deceived or betrayed. Unquote. The reason you cannot apply these words to the apostolic see under Francis is not because there's something wrong with Catholic teaching, but because Francis isn't the Pope. Good luck with that consecration of Russia. Tratcast Express is a production of Novos Ordo Watch. Check us out at tratcast.org, and if you like what we're doing, please consider making a tax-deductible contribution at novosordowatch.org slash donate.